Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hey there, friends. Pastor Paul Carter here from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Aurelia and the host of the End of the Word podcast. I am joined today by some of my favorite pastors in all the universe to give us some guidance, some wisdom on how to deal with these unprecedented times. I know everyone's getting tired of that expression, but these are unprecedented times. This, uh, this is a unique situation. We've had plagues and pestilences before, but nothing approaching an 11-month lockdown uh, of the church, of the worship of the church. And uh, regulations may be different across the country, but all of us, to some extent or another, are dealing with the same things. And we are working without a map. There is no older pastor that you can call uh, to find out how they dealt with this in his day. Uh, there is no day. Uh, this is a unique circumstance. And so we want to rely on one another. We want to bless one another. We want to talk to one another. We want to collaborate. And uh, to help us do that, I've assembled a fabulous panel of uh, some of my favorite people, favorite brothers, and uh, wise voices that I appreciate. So uh, joining us today, we have Stephen Bray from St. John's, Newfoundland. We have Clint Humphrey from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. We have uh, Yannick Etier from La Belle Provence. Uh, we have Pastor Paul Martin from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We have Pastor Dan McDonald, also from Toronto, Ontario. So thank you, brothers. Thanks for being with us for this third episode of Pastoring in a Pandemic. I appreciate you. Good to be here, buddy. All right, well, let's get right into it. I uh, want to start with a little bit of personal narrative. Uh, assembled folks from kind of east to west. I would love to hear how you're dealing with this, how this has affected your church, and maybe where you are at right now in terms of pandemic protocols, lockdowns, et cetera. So why don't we move from east to west? Uh, Stephen, why don't you start us off? Yeah, so Steve Bray at Calvary Baptist Church here in St. John's, Newfoundland. We have been doing pretty well until this last week, and we have had a massive outbreak by our standards, had 100 new cases yesterday which was a record day in the entire length of this pandemic. So all of St. John's has gone into a full two week circuit breaker lockdown. And many people think it'll go longer than that. The monkey wrench of all that is we are all supposed to elect a new government on Saturday. And uh, so that's created an awful lot of political drama here with delays now to the election in the city of St. John's with the rest of the province still doing it. Um, our press conferences have been tense to say the least, uh, as you've seen, you know, government with bureaucracy trying to, you know, cast and shift blame and stuff like that. And you can just see the fatigue and the stress in the faces of those that are leading, um, you know, by the comparisons of the rest of the country, relatively low cases, but it has really stressed out our city. There's a lot of that vitriol accusation, mistrust demands and stuff like that. And so we're trying, even today, our church did a pray, pray for the city, little Facebook live thing. Um, just trying to example as much as we can, God's grace in the midst of chaotic times and uh, pivoting again, that great word I hate, um, back to online church for this Sunday and uh, trusting God. All right. So you guys are back, back to the 10 person minimum. Yeah. Now. Okay. Our maximum. All right. And then uh, next, as we move uh, east to west would be Yannick. Oui, bonjour. Uh, so 
thank you, uh, thank you, brothers, to to have me on this panel. Uh, so I'm pastoring a middle-sized church on South Shore of Montreal, a French-speaking church. We're about 400. And uh, right now we're in the red zone. So uh, all of Quebec uh, a few weeks ago was a red zone. Uh, but uh, we've, uh, we've, we've moved from that. And uh, further regions of Quebec would be orange zone, where churches could meet up to 25 people uh, in different rooms, so that, that there was a there was there was a judgment from uh, the uh, superior court in Quebec that allowed us to allowed us to count different rooms with an uh, outward door to have more than uh, one group. But since we are uh, in Longueuil in a red zone, we are allowed to have ten person in the church. It could be we could have up to fifty person in five different rooms uh, since we we have uh, exit doors in different rooms in the in the building uh, we've been we've been that way for at least two months I would say in the last 10 months we we've had maybe uh, uh, four months where we were allowed to have 25 uh, groups of 25s in the building uh, but the rest of it was either full lockdown or uh, 10 people, uh, groups of 10 and we're still under a curfew so in the Montreal zone, we have a curfew at eight o'clock. So this this um, keeps us even from having events like prayer meetings in the, the evening at the building. Uh, I, I would say it's it's pretty tough. It's pretty it, it's a funny thing in Quebec. People are very compliant, and I would say very complacent with the uh, the rules. We we it's different definitely a little different from the rest of Canada. Whereas we're more socialist, I would say, and uh, people are are they're compliant, they're complacent with with uh, government's rules, and at the same time, we see a lot of distress uh, amongst individuals. Uh, we just had two social workers, 23 and 26, who committed suicide in Montreal this week, mm-hmm. and uh, without without any other explanations than they they were they're exhausted. So teachers are ex- exhausted. People who are living by themselves are in distress. And at the same time, the signal the population is sending to government is that you're doing, you're doing the, the right thing. If we have to log down even more, it's okay with us. So, so it's kind of a, a mixed uh, feeling that I have as a pastor, seeing people suffering. And at the same time, seeing the, the population just asking for more in some sense. Dan, I think you're you're actually next on the uh, east to west journey. Dan McDonald, Grace Toronto, downtown Toronto. Uh, pretty locked down. We're an epicenter uh, for the virus, Toronto and the environs. So we're only allowed ten people, and um, yeah, it's tough <clears throat> talking to people around uh, our church. Uh, I'm in Zoom calls with small groups once or twice a week, and Lockdown has been really hard second time around. So uh, <clears throat> a little bit like Yannick, I think people are in the downtown core, fairly receptive to the lockdown, although they hate it. They're not turning their anger toward the government so much yet. That's it's a fair representation, Yannick, of where we are in my context. Yeah. All right. Uh, Paul, I think you'd be next. 
Yeah, so very similar to Dan. We're not in the downtown core. We're a little bit out in the burbs a little more, but still in the city. And uh, we're under the same lockdown measures. So maximum of 10. Been there for a couple months. Uh, we anticipate that's going to last a little while longer. Uh, our people on the whole, I think, are, um, well, definitely want to be together. Uh, we've been really grateful. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't have a very good, strong uh, participation in small groups prior to lockdown. And uh, that has just blossomed as a, in this season of ministry where people have really connected on online small groups. Uh, so there's a lot of that. We've been really uh, meditating as a church on what authentic love looks like and trying to be creative to say, all right, well, how do we do these biblical commands in the situation that we're in? We try to talk about that a lot and give examples and encouragements. Um, we are pretty involved, uh, I don't want to say politically, but we, we keep a lot of communication open with our local public health and member of, of provincial parliament, members of parliament, trying to plead our case, because uh, we believe in our current situation that there's ways we could be meeting back at what we knew before as a 30% uh, occupancy limit that's our, would be very safe. Uh, so we're in the midst of trying to appeal to the government to say, hey, can you at least open a portal for churches like ours or groups like ours that want to make their case? You can come inspect. We'd be glad to show you what we're doing. We think it's uh, a really doable thing. We're following all the protocols and more than what you've given. Uh, we're concerned about the safety and health of our people too. So yeah, we got all that kind of going on at the same time. So I think just like everybody, uh, there's weariness. Uh, but at the same time, I think... Um, yeah, life is short and we're all going to stand before the Lord one day. And what's going to be super vital for all of us then is that we've done the best in the circumstances we're in. Well, I guess I'd be next on the uh, East to West journey, but I don't have much to add. I'm, I'm just North of both Paul and Dan. Uh, our health unit is, is kind of interesting in that it's, it's a, it's huge geographically speaking. So uh, up here, I'm in the middle of it, and in the in the middle of the health unit, there's there's very little. Most of the cases are actually down south, where we border on those Toronto people. Uh, so uh, there's some challenges too, because we we get protocols put on us for the whole unit, um, and um, you know people in the middle and the top of the unit kind of feel imposed upon. But um, but by and large, we've been okay here in terms of actual infection rates, in terms of you know, mental, mental health and all that, uh, same boat as you guys, our people are really eager to be together, but by the grace of God, they've been enduring uh, this challenge really well. And, and, uh, I'm very thankful for that. All right, Clint, you are our furthest West today. Western representation. Yeah. Uh, so Clint Humphrey, Calvary Grace Church in Calgary and, uh, just hearing everybody else, uh, just realizing, how blessed we've been in that uh, we're at 15% uh, fire code capacity. So we're, we've been able to gather in some fashion for most of the pandemic. There was a while early on where we were, we were online like everybody else. Um, but we've been able to go to two services and, and still have everybody gathering. And um, we follow, we we're in compliance with the protocols Um I think for our people, they've really seen that um, it's a small sacrifice to be able to wear masks and yet to be able to sing, to be able to gather together, even as we're you know distanced out, to be able to gather together has just been so precious. And knowing uh, you know how 
how open we are compared to other jurisdictions. I think a lot of our people have been very grateful. So it's been neat to see that gratitude cultivated. At the same time, in Alberta, we're, we tend to be uh, a little bit uh, anti-authoritarian uh, by nature. And no. so there, yeah, just, just a little bit. And uh, so even though we've got, uh, I think, a government that has, has at least attempted to favor churches, um, we, we still have a lot in our kind of the wider church community that have, that have been resistant. And so then that has ripple effects in everybody's churches. And so just kind of navigating that has been quite tense for everyone, along with just the regular interactions, whether you have people who are in the healthcare uh, industry serving on front lines or other people that by their vocation are facing different kinds of pressures. So just navigating that unity has been a challenge, but I've been very encouraged with um, the resiliency that our church has had. At the same time, just unity uh, it's, it's almost the, the number one uh, pastoral issue is just continuing to point people to Jesus, that that would be then the binding unity for the church. Because if you just slip off that a little bit into any type of opinions, it seems it can go off the rails very quickly. Uh, but I'm sure we'll talk about that further. But yeah, so we're very <laughs> thankful anyways here in, here in Alberta. Thanks. Well, there are a thousand different ways that, that we could go at this conversation, a bunch of different entry points. Um, however, I kind of want to start with that, which is ultimate big picture, and then uh, zoom our way in from there. Big picture, I'm assuming that we would all agree that God is the ultimate author of, of this pandemic, that nothing happens in the universe that surprises God or that is outside of his control. Uh, granted, there are secondary causes, but at the end of the day, um, God is sovereign and, and he, he kills, he makes alive, he wounds, he heals. There is none that can deliver from his hand. So I'm, I'm assuming we're on the same page there. And, and that then begs the question that I think we should start with, which is what is God doing here? Um, what's this about? Obviously we see through a glass darkly. So I'm not asking any of you to, you know, read God's mail on that, but, but can you provide some, some wise counsel, some biblical reflection uh, that, that might be helpful to people trying to figure out why in the world God would do this and, and what good purposes he might be working that maybe we're missing. So uh, I'll throw that out to Clint. Clint, uh, I, I know that you've, you've had some thoughts on this before. I'd, I'd love for you to get us started. Yeah, sure. I, I think there's a lot that we can learn. I, I hope we are learning. Um, I, my mind keeps being brought back to uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and God's fatherly discipline of his children. And, you know, as, as the writer to Hebrews argues that that temporal disciplining is for our good, that we would share in his holiness. Mm -hmm. And so I think that all of these trials that we're going through, and, and I think this is the thing we're challenged with is just the multiplicity of the trials. The virus is just one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, but then the responses and how to respond and then just people, sinners, unity, all these different things. We're, we're feeling this, this discipline from the Lord. Like we, we have to come back to seeing that God is trying to teach us things. So I, so I think that actually is something that if we can learn that, 
it will bear great fruit for us that we can see this is from God's hand. So in other words, kind of alluding to what you're saying, Paul, the sovereignty of God in all of this and that he is actually teaching us through the providence. I'd say that'd be the first thing, just that, that temporal discipline and recognizing it as such. But then the second part, and in Hebrews 12 as well, is just the call to endure. Mm. And I think what we're seeing is just the end of convenience and comfort-based ministry. Um, we're being called to persevere by looking to Christ and continuing to follow him in the midst of all kinds of different um, troubles and trials. You know, you think, if, like for our church, if we can have a mask on and yet we can sing and be together and hear God's word, well then, you know, let's, let's take that inconvenience. You know, we all hate them, but let's take the inconvenience and seek to persevere and endure. Uh, and I, so I think that endurance part and truth is, of course, as we go forward, um, the church is probably going to be called to have even greater tests yeah. that we're going to have to endure through. And this may be the Lord preparing us for even bigger trials to come. So yeah, that would well, be couple where kind of my head's at on what I think the Lord's teaching us. Yeah, well said. Anyone else want to pop in on there? What What's God doing? I know, Paul, this was kind of your question. You you had fired it to me as, as something you wanted to make sure there's that we've spent some time on. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, just as you were asking, I forgot it was my question. So I, this all feels new to me. That's how my brain works. Uh, but, you know, Cooper's hymn, right? Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he'll make it plain. And I remember first thinking, I'd sung that hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, many times. But when that line first struck me, when I first like, actually thought about it, it strikes me that I think there's a lot of things we're going to learn about this time five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, that we're going to see errors we made that we, you know, I, I'm sure that our elders are going to look back and say, boy, how could we not have seen this? When we pivoted left, we ought to have pivoted right. But you're, you're dealing with what's in front of you. And I'm reminded of what, uh, you know, in the screw tape letters, there's uh, Lewis has the one older demon writing to the younger, something to this effect of uh, get them thinking about what might happen rather than about what they should do. Hmm. And I think what I've been trying to encourage our people in is let's just focus on what we know we need to do, not what might happen. Uh, I can't control government decisions. I can't control the spread of a virus, uh, but I can, by the Spirit's help, do the things he's told me to do. And I think that could be one of the things the Lord is teaching his people because you're right in the in the west we are not used to having our wills crossed we're not used to to having any of our freedoms infringed upon and maybe part of what god is doing is showing us that there were things we took for granted as his will which were actually just cultural ideas that have nothing to do with being a faithful christian yeah that's good any, any, any other thoughts that you want to share on that before we move on? Well, maybe maybe I can add for myself. I, I definitely see that the Lord has been working in my my soul as um, everything was too too much comfortable uh, at ease. Uh, uh, I think we can say that we were living in some kind of a pre pre-heaven in some senses yeah. and 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 we we kind of lost that 
So, so the Lord has been working tremendously in my heart um, in ways that I would never have asked for. And, and I'm, I'm just beginning to, to uh, be at peace, be, be at peace being not comfortable in this world. And at the same time, I'm thinking of, of uh, many churches around the world who are living in, in poorer countries. Uh, we've lost liberties. They, they, they are losing right now more income and more help because uh, the mm-hmm. help won't come. So, uh, so we're suffering more, but they, they, they will be suffering even more uh, because, because of the, the, the economic crash that's, uh, that's falling on us. Yeah, I read something this morning that stuck with me. It's, it, it is, I'll tell you this, I read the Bible better uh, in a pandemic than I recall reading it before, or at least it feels like I do. Like there's a sense in which each new circumstance you go through as a Christian gives you empathy or insight in, in new ways, both into people's lives, but also into the text. And uh, I saw something this morning in, in my Bible readings and I didn't flag it. So I don't even know if I'll be able to find it. Oh, here it is. Uh, Job 12, five in the thought of one who is at a, who is at ease, there is contempt for misfortune. And, and that really hit me this morning, just thinking, you know, that's a good point. I've spent all my life at ease and, and I didn't expect to, like, I remember having the, the least romantic engagement conversation or pre-engagement conversation with my wife in the history of the universe, where I said, you know, honey, I'm, I'm, I'm called to be a pastor. And so if you marry me, it's like marrying a dog in a chain, God's going to yank me and take me to India and we're going to die in a hut. And, and I just need you to know that's what's on the table. Uh, our, and I don't want you to just marry me because because you think I'm I'm swell. I, I want you to be aware of that. And then we've just had a, a blessed, a charmed life since then. I can't believe how good our people have treated me and and I haven't died in a hut. And and there's a sense in which I wonder if that's not been good for me as a pastor, just this unexpected ease and blessing. And and I wonder is has there been contempt in my heart for those experiencing misfortune and and anyway i it, that just struck me this morning and i and 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 I, I just put that into the category of you know pandemic insights um we're we're seeing new things we're empathizing in new ways and and i i think that's got to be good for us in the long run so assuming we all agree that this is going to be good for us in the long run nevertheless it has been hard in the short run um and and we don't want to be ignorant of that we don't want to overlook that so Let's acknowledge it's been extremely difficult on uh, seniors in particular. Uh, I know here in our health region, the majority of cases, the majority of casualties have taken place in long-term care homes. It's been really hard on healthcare workers. It's been hard on teachers. It's been hard on parents. It's been hard on churches. And it's been hard on pastors. So let's let's talk about that for a few minutes because I would imagine the majority of the people who are going to listen to this and watch this over the next several months are pastors looking, looking for empathy, looking for insight, looking for wisdom. So Stephen, share a little bit. How has this been, been hard for you as a shepherd of, of the flock? Well, it's interesting because where I find myself, where Newfoundland, we really have had a pretty good run. I mean, we had that initial lockdown with the rest of Canada back in March of 2020. <clears throat> but once we came out of that, I mean, outside of having to wear a mask, and being limited to a hundred people, really, that was the only change of my life that happened in regards to, 
you know, we could get together. We were able to double bubble and then plus six and then this and this and this and this. So we even had our small groups for meeting again, physically, all of these things. And um, it's been um, amazing to me how this has happened so quickly where we're right back to almost where we, we started. And I will just confess that I've had a bad 48 hours, like just yeah. this, a despairing 48 hours. I was really putting all this, what I thought in my rearview mirror. And now I feel like I've just zipped back in time. And so I have found for me um, yesterday. And again, this morning, I just uh, was crying out Psalm 13 again, how long, Oh Lord, <laughs> how long, like, why is this stuff happening? And trying to, um, be, ha and I, I guess the tension I feel as a pastor is to have what I call that controlled release transparency. Um, I vacillate between wanting to be raw, honest with my congregation. And then the thought that Asaph has in Psalm 73, like if I actually say out loud, everything I'm thinking, <laughs> uh, a whole generation is going to stop following God. Um, but one of the helps in all of this, uh, believe it or not, not from the Bible. And since my father told me when I was a kid, the one thing we've learned from history is that we don't learn from history. And outside of the Bible, I, I read this book over the last few months called The Last Plague, which is, and it's about uh, the Spanish influence and the politics of public health in Canada. Hmm. Um, I have to tell you, this was an incredibly good read for me to put in perspective, uh, Steve, you are not suffering as bad as you think you are. Yeah. And people in your country in its history have suffered. And I might add health officials, government, provinces, people have struggled, as Paul said, should we have gone left when we went right? Should we have gone right when we went left? And so this has really rallied my position. And, and, and it's really neat when you take your theology, like the sovereignty of God, and you have to add it to actual real day living. Um, on the flip side, I will say, I talked with a good pastor friend of mine on the extreme West Coast, who's always been pretty strong, in my opinion, he's always usually sees the glass half full, but talked about just lots of headaches, fatigue, feeling tired a lot, um, you know, just just always feeling the weight of, of this. And uh, then you couple that with some pop culture stuff that we're dealing with in our world, such as failures and guys we've looked up to. Yeah. Um, I, I felt like that was just another knife, <laughs> knife wound that I was like, Lord, how many more of these do I have to take? Um, and, and the, you know, the collateral spinoff damage of all of those types of things. So it's been a trying season, but again, you know, Psalm 13 is one of my favorites because at the end, but I have trusted in your steadfast love and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And I'm just trying to reconcile in my own life, my marriage, my family, my church, it is okay to struggle and yet cling to Jesus. Like somehow I think we think they're mutually exclusive. I'm either struggling or I'm clinging to Jesus. No, I struggle in my clinging to Jesus. And I think that is a good thing. Yeah, it's good. Anyone else? I mean, we've got a looking at this panel, we've got some different personalities uh, represented. And, and so people are going to process this differently. And I would imagine we've got a spectrum of listeners as well. So chip in with how, how you're, you're struggling. No struggles. <laughs> well, I've, I've I think, I think I've you shared, should uh, uh, go ahead. Yeah, go on. Well, I, I, I've been public about this, uh, even with TGC and with my church. 
uh, I've been struggling with anger uh, last year. I would say last year, by God's grace, I'm, I'm quite done with that, even with the last uh, decisions of our government. And that anger came out from fear. Uh, fear, uh, I shared it publicly for the first time in my life. I'm fearing my government. And I'm not used to that. I was living in a bubble uh, thinking that uh, government is always there for your good, but they're sinners. And they, I'm sure they're, they're working for, for the good of the people. I'm not, I'm not saying anything against that, but uh, the decisions they're making uh, can be very tough. So last year, I, last year, I struggled a lot with anger, and that was coming out of fear. And, and by God's grace, when I shared it with the church, uh, I was, uh, I would say, 90% out of it. So it was not it was not wrong with the church, but some of my friends inside the church, uh, after that they came to me and they said, "Yeah, we, we could perceive something, but you you were wise with it." So so it's been this would have been the the most struggle I've had since we have a team of pastors and we we take care of each other's. Uh, where I'm not isolated as many pastors in Quebec are serving by themselves. That's good. Paul, I think you should uh, lean into Dan because he's like the most extroverted human being I know. And he's so extroverted. He has glass walls in his office so that uh, he can constantly connect with people. So guys like him who by personality feed off of people like us who are introverts, uh, I think we should hear how this is affecting him. Well, Dan, Paul has volunteered you. (laughs) (laughs) I just do it by now. Um, so I think what COVID does for most pastors, um, it's going to take something that you naturally lean on as part of your gift mix and take it away. Um, so if you're a shepherd who likes a lot of, uh, person or person touch and you can't do that, you feel stripped of one of the greatest gifts God has given you. If you're a strategist who has a general sense of what to do in controlled environments, but the environment's completely uncontrollable and therefore there's no predictability on where you can strategize, uh, that whole gift mix of yours is taken away. So what I've found is I've talked to a lot of pastors uh, is that there's usually one or two of their primary gifts that COVID has really stripped of them. And so there's a real identity crisis that happened early on in COVID, I think for all of us. And that is, uh, for me particularly, not only was I an extrovert, but um, my management style was walking around and making observations. So taking all kinds of physical cues, body language cues, et cetera, dealt me people, lead, even for people, and it was taken away. Um, and then the predictability of the environment. So the strategic leadership was also stripped completely away because we were just simply responding to a really fragile and volatile COVID situation and a government that was lurching all over the place. And so um, to Yannick's point, uh, that loss of identity creates tremendous fear uh, of adequacy in almost every pastor I know. And we've dealt with that fear in very different ways. Uh, Some people got angry, some just got anxious, some got depressed. Um, I was talking to an American who said he had heard in his denomination 70% of the pastors in this in a confidential survey, we're looking for other jobs or actively wondering if they should leave. So it's an epidemic in the pastorate of feeling inadequate and uh, really 
it showed where I, my identity markers were. And when Tim Keller said in an interview about a week and a half ago that he and his wife sat down while he's in the middle of cancer and they, they recognized that for her escaping to vacation places where, t- where she actually had his attention was kind of a thing that fueled her too much. And for him, ticking off his ministry accomplishments in any given month or week were his. And he said, we realize even though we've been in ministry for this long, even though we've been pastors of, you know, and, and pastors, what we're still trying to make a kingdom out of this earth. And I think that's kind of what we do uh, as pastors to validate ourselves. So yeah, I think there's been a real identity crisis in almost every pastor that I've talked to with the exception of Paul Martin, he doesn't have any identity crises, but uh, he's a unique individual. That's awesome. Thanks, Dan. Uh, that's r- really helpful. Um, I think you're. I, I think you're absolutely right that this pandemic has taken at least one thing away from everybody, and and I think that maybe a good thing. Some of the things we were leaning on were not healthy. Um, I, I. It almost looks to me like this pandemic was designed, finely tuned, uh, to put some pressure on certain aspects of of the pastoral vocation. For it, it's just if you if you led primarily through the pulpit, um, this has been hard on you because how do you preach to a camera with the same you know if you're a charisma guy, uh, how do you preach to a camera and generate charisma? It's 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 stripped all of that, um, and and you're right. It, or if you if you are a guy who leads over the the you know the coffee table at at Starbucks or Tim Hortons this has been hard for you it's put pressure on a bunch of things and i think as pastors it's been good it's forced us to look in the mirror yeah. it's forced us to diversify it's been really good yeah paul did you want to respond to that or or did you just want to nod your head and accept that that you don't have an identity crisis uh, even a fool when he remains silent <laughs> appears wise <laughs> very good well played uh, well, uh, I want to zoom in again, uh, just, just a little bit here and, and talk about the church as a whole, uh, the evangelical church, just to shine the light on our little sub community, if we can, uh, this has been a purifying event, a refining, refining event. And, uh, we're learning lots about ourselves, uh, both in terms of strengths and weaknesses. So in my mind, the analogy that makes sense is this is like a, a giant stress test. Uh, you know, guys our age uh, get the stress test. You go and your doctor makes you run on a treadmill, hooks you up to some things and tells you, gives you some good news and some bad news about the state of your, the state of your declining body. Um, and, and, and I think to a certain extent, the entire evangelical church has been placed on the treadmill and, and we've been told some stuff. Uh, we've seen some stuff, some truths have come to light, both good and bad. Um, there've been things I've been gloriously impressed by and then other things that, you know, make me want to go home and cry. So, uh, you know, help us for those guys, maybe who haven't been thinking at that level or haven't been seeing what, what you've been seeing, uh, walk us through some of that. Now, Dan, I'm going to start you off. Give us your impression. You're, uh, you're there at the center of the universe. So you've got uh, there in Toronto, you've got the perfect perspective on the, on the big picture there. Um, tell us about the strengths that you see in the wider evangelical church, the weaknesses that have been revealed, but, uh, move your mic away from your jacket a little bit. Cause we got some scratch in your last answer, but go ahead. Um, strengths and weaknesses. Um, this will take all day, I'm sure. So I'll just throw some stuff at you. Uh, yeah. one of the things that became pretty obvious to, to us is that, um, 
the evangelical church as 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 I was experiencing it, uh, I won't speak for the American experience, but I know this to be true of uh, the downtown Toronto churches and most of the churches I've been in. Busyness was a synonym for productive productivity and fruitfulness, how many activities we had, et cetera. And so when the busyness got stripped from us, there's a real sense of a loss of identity amongst all our staff and even our people. And so I think we relied on busyness too much. We liked busyness too much. We gave it too much um, weight and credit. Um, and so I think that, that it's been really helpful to strip the busyness away and say, you know, what is the church outside of all her zillion activities? What are the important ones? What, what are we really missing? It became very clear that we used to do a ton of things. Uh, but I would let people in when we were doing COVID weddings or something, people would show up in the park beside it to celebrate the couple. And then I, some of them would quietly say, can I just walk into the sanctuary? Can you just let me do that? I know I wasn't allowed in for the COVID wedding, but the sanctuary is empty now, the building's empty. So I'd let them in and they'd cry in the sanctuary because they missed public worship together so much. And it was just kind of an indication that after a while they were beginning to realize what's really important. Um, so I think we have to think through busyness. I don't want to go back to the, quite the level of busyness. I want more than I have now, but I, I think that is something that has been revealed. Secondly, what it really revealed to me is uh, this world-centered we have been in evangelicalism, in the way that we measure our churches, which one's bigger, which one's more of this, which one has more of that, in, in the way that we are relating in our political theology, how we relate to the government, how's the government treating us. Um, there have been so much time and energy expended upon the question of how is the church doing <clears throat> before COVID, before we had any questions of political disobedience, how are we being received in the culture? Massive movements of self-correction and, and church critique about how the world is thinking about us and treating us and what's our place in the world. This is I think a fairly Western phenomenon. I don't think the persecuted church thinks this way, but we have been inordinately uh, attached to our reputation and power and influence uh, in the culture. And uh, the pandemic has revealed a political edge to it that I found interesting. Third thing that I realized was um, too much of our churches were too dependent upon the professional staff doing all the ministry and making themselves indispensable. One of the things that um, that happened when we went to COVID, especially because we're a, a kind of a mid-sized church as well, is we just don't have enough pastoral staff to get around to the several hundred people that are there. Smaller churches, maybe they can still do it, but we really had to rely on our small group leaders and our lay people ministering one to another. And we just couldn't keep up with the massive uptick in depression, anxiety, struggles, loss of jobs, et cetera. And so that was a thought to us that we had relied a little too much, not only on the Sunday morning experience uh, or, or been tempted to, but also on professional staff ministering to those in need. And we really need to rethink that and do some equipping. Some strengths, uh, we have high, high percentage of our people in small groups. It has been the sort of the, one of the saving graces of our church during COVID is that I think well over 80% of our people are already connected to small groups uh, and they were life, they've been lifelines to our people. Um, secondly, 
there's something weird about, and I don't exactly know how to say this, um, but it, it, peop, the, the longer people have been under the prolonged expositional preaching of the word of God, the healthier they are and the less they actually needed me. And they, they just kind of started to figure out how to minister to each other, et cetera. And so um, Sunday morning in COVID seemed to get replaced by Monday to Friday in some senses because Sunday morning got diminished. But the effect of the previous Sunday mornings over the years had really prepared the mature people in our church to really handle it well. And so in a weird and indirect way, the substantive teaching of God's word first went down, but now as I'm looking more deeply into uh, the dynamics in our church, I'm seeing the effect that the, that the, the, the right teaching, the reasonably responsible teaching of God's word has had many to help, help us get through this. Um, because we've had to rely on people ministering to people. So I, I've seen some of those dynamics, uh, at least here in Toronto. Yeah. And I'll open it up to everybody else. That's great. Yeah. Other, other guys uh, want to jump in in terms of strengths and weaknesses that have been revealed under this stress test? I think as Dan uh, articulated all those strengths and weaknesses. It's kind of like the kids say, I think you can drop the mic. Um, I, I, just, I, I, I was going to say that I thought that ecclesiology, and this is kind of what Dan was saying, that good ecclesiology beforehand made churches kind of anti-fragile, and then they persevered through it. But churches that had bad ecclesiology on the front end and didn't have that kind of unsung expository ministry they've really struggled to kind of keep everybody together. And uh, I, I've just seen that uh, people, they're, they're, as they struggle with this decision velocity, and certainly pastors struggle with that, so many decisions faced so frequently each day. You know, Steve mentioned, you know, last 48 hours. Um, that stability that was maybe undervalued before, well, now, it be, now there's a premium on that, premium in your spiritual life individually and a premium on it in a church. Our church is only 14 years old. In some sense, in Calgary, we're an old church amongst mm. our kind of our tribe. But I just praise the Lord for some stability that was, that's been really highlighted, that that stability has held us through, where I've seen other brothers with their churches, and they maybe were, had conflicts that weren't dealt with beforehand, well, then COVID, this all and the response have just exacerbated all of that. Uh, so there's some things that were unsung beforehand that now they're just sweet and precious now. And we really savor them. And, uh, and then there was things that kind of, as Dan pointed out, things that we really cared about beforehand. Yeah, it doesn't matter as much now. You know, just getting back to the basics of what, what is the, the bare essentials of what a church is. And we just savor that so much now. So that's been so pretty Clint, cool to see that part. Clint, I, you know, this, this idea of ecclesiology has, has been intriguing me because it feels to me it's a functional ecclesiology that, that has really saved the day for us, not the ecclesiology in our books or on our creeds and confessions. You know, it's, it, it's not how many small groups you have and how well they take care of each other is nowhere in our book of church order. And we have a very thick book of church order. We're Presbyterian after all. Uh, but um, it's the functional ecclesiology 
that it seems to me has saved the day rather than the written and formal ecclesiology. Would you, what do you, yeah, what's totally your thoughts agree. on that? What, how, how does a church member really function? Mm. You know, what does it mean to love one another in community? And if nobody really focused on that beforehand, if people were simply attenders, they received, you know, receivers of whatever the ministry was, consumers of it. Well, then now they don't really know how to then function when some of that stuff is stripped away. Uh, so mm -hmm. I think, yeah, that's a good word, a functional ecclesiology for sure. Mm -hmm. One of the phrases we throw around here is uh, we view membership as being covenant based rather than convenient based, convenience based. And I think if you've had that teaching in your church where um, whatever form that's going to take, where, you know, if you're a member here, you're, you're covenanting with another group of people. Mm -hmm. um, that has, I think, been probably the most fundamental thing that's carried us through. It's like, it took a while. I mean, it's, you know, when the, when the flashbang goes off and everything is discombobulated, okay, it takes a second to figure all this out. But then just remind people, well, what, what have we promised to one another? Uh, we promised to care for one another, to love each other, to help each other limp to glory and get over that finish line. So let's just figure out how to do that now. And uh, I have been uh, humbled by people I was very worried about who just leaned into that covenant commitment. I've been surprised by people I thought who in, in older days looked like they understood all that, but seemed to have lost it or not understood it. Um so there's that whole aspect. And then I think the other thing, if I could jump a, a rail is, I think what has really surprised me on the broader sort of evangelical landscape is what appears to me from my outside observation to be uh, this distinction people are drawing between their theology and then how they're expressing their theology. So uh, I keep reading in my New Testament a lot of positive commands about how to love my enemies and how to speak about people, how to speak about rulers and authorities. Um, and and those, those are not negated in this season. So it's been very puzzling for me uh, to watch um, Christian leaders who have, have just really, um, I think, taken some negative turns of, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll throw that out there as well. I think there's something we're going to have to deal with uh, in the emerging generation. And that is when I was a new Christian in the eighties, the popular culture that I had to withstand was, I felt incredibly strong. I'm looking at the popular culture that my daughter, uh, as she grows into the teenage years has to withstand. And it's got to be four or five times more potent, more powerful, more ubiquitous. It's just, it's almost inescapable. And I'm starting to find now in our people, the exact same thing. Things that narratives, presuppositions, ways of thinking, um, the polarization, for example, uh, against your enemies and the way you speak about those that you disagree with politically, which I think is your point, Paul, even our leaders are doing it. That, that's a function of our, our present culture. Uh, it, it's not really anywhere in, in the gospel. I, in, I mean, Wyatt Graham will point out that Luther and his ilk in their culture had some of that similar polemical view. But I think that just proves the point that it's not a biblical thing. That polarization is really just following the culture. And it is much harder to escape uh, cultural practices, cultural inclinations than I ever, than it ever was. 
And you have to be so much more thoughtful. And so I've, I want to think about that as a pastor, that my people are way more influenced and much harder to dislodge from culturally popular narratives than I think they are. And it's a lot more work to sift it. Yeah. And that actually leads into the next question I wanted to ask, which is the extent to which the internet in general and social media in particular has, uh, has created a, a problem that we all need to think about. And that problem has been greatly exacerbated by this pandemic because like it or not, every, all of our people have been driven much deeper into the, into the internet and into social media. I mean, my mom's almost 80 and she's, she's now as a result of this pandemic figured out YouTube, uh, Facebook, Zoom, Boxcast. Uh, I remember a few years ago, she couldn't work her VCR. And now all of a sudden, she's basically a tech consultant. And, and that has, you know, happened to, to every everybody, we're, everything we're, we're doing now is on the internet. And for a lot of people, their only real uh, social interaction is is on the internet. And, uh, you, you know, the medium is the message, there's a sense in which we've all been shaped by that. And so I guess the question I'm asking is, after we come through this unique experience, what's the good from that we're going to retain? I mean, I, I, I look at our own online numbers, and we had, before the pandemic, people basically used our, our broadcast uh, to, to supplement them when they were sick or when they were traveling. That was really the only reason people ever watched services online. You know, I've been home for a couple of weeks sick, so I watched online, or, or my wife and I are traveling, so we've been watching online. Now, all of a sudden, I mean, the we're, people are watching us from, from all over the place, as I'm sure this happened to, happened to you as well. Some of that we're going to retain. We figured out a, a bunch of great things about, about how to deliver that, a bunch of great things about how to, how to do what we're doing right now, how to get six pastors together at, to talk about something that's going to be useful to other pastors. So I'm assuming there's some stuff we're going to retain, and I'm assuming there's some poison we're going to have to leach out. Um, so, you know, walk us through that, Yannick, what do, what do we want to keep? What do we want to get rid of? What do we want to press on? And what do we want to affirm as a result of this experience we've been through? And, and I figure it's good to start with you because, uh, as you told us, even before we started recording, you have been probably forced, uh, the, the deepest into the internet, and you've had probably the least act access to your in-person gatherings. So I'm assuming this has affected you and your congregation the most. Well, to be honest, I, I would say that it even affected uh, more smaller churches. Um, I think that uh, uh, one thing that is pretty, I would say pretty bad that came out of all of this is that larger churches who had more access to technologies and more resources um, uh, were able to give a better show. And I'm using the word uh, on purpose uh, I'm, 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 sometimes I'm looking at other services, other, other worship services and, and like they're moving around with three cameras and you're listening to a show. And, uh, um, I would say that is a poison because it's uh, for, for some of our people, it's transforming them into consumers. And well, when they, when they'll come back, uh, meeting in person, uh, they will understand that it's more, it's more simple than that. You know, even if we have some cameras for folks on, who are on the web, uh, you're sitting right there looking in front, 
and uh, no cameras are, are moving around. So, so I think that one of the poisons that are coming out of uh, uh, that is coming out of this is that it's it's transforming some of our people into consumers, mm-hmm. and and uh, we will have to teach our people on that. Uh, um, at the same time, I I so maybe to contradict myself, I think that we're we're realizing how much we are incarnate uh, uh, people and we live in a body and we need to be together in person. So I don't know how we will come out of this and what will come out of it when we we're allowed to join and meet again in person. Many of us will be so happy just to just to stand side by side, look into the eyes of each other and uh, part of our people will have been transformed into consumers. And I think we will have to reach out to them and teach them uh, because this, this, this will be bad. Uh, they have become more passive, I would say, and we will have to teach them. And, and many of our people have uh, uh, got into more addictions on the web, you know, with pornography and everything, just being seated at home and having nothing to do. Uh, um, so, Obviously, we don't want to keep this. One thing, one thing that uh, I think that is good coming out of this extraordinary year that most of, uh, well, a large part of the of, of the whole world has, has been true is that I think we, most of us thought that we, when we were on the web, it was pretty private, and um, and. Uh, so many governments have been using the web to manage the pandemic that they, they have been more and more explicit on how it's not that private. Uh, Instagram just announced this week, this week that they will look into our direct messages and they will ban people who would have any hate speech in their direct messages. One good thing that, that might come out of this is that we might be, behave a little more uh, realizing that it's not that private. Whatever you do on the web will come out w- one day. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the way we, we have to live, uh, not, not, not thinking that we, we have such privacy that our sins might be hidden. So, so that might be good. Uh, good things that came out of, of all of this, obviously, is outreach. Uh, we've seen people coming to Christ that we were not able to, to reach out to before the pandemic. Uh, we're, we're, uh, we have, we, we're doing better on the web and, and reaching out better, even taking care of them. We've, we've, uh, we have some people who are just waiting to, to get baptized who were converted, uh, converted during the pandemic. They're, they're just waiting for us to, to reunite and, and be baptized. So that's pretty extraordinary. And um, in, in, Francophones, francophone countries, we don't have that many resources, good resources. So upgrading our services on the web has enabled us to help smaller churches who might not have pastors and no teachers. So th- this has been pretty good. Um, and I would say last thing, lastly is that uh, we, we, use, uh, we use better our uh, technologies to do discipleship and just follow through with people. So, so there, are, there are good things. We're, we're doing better outreach. 
we we can help out smaller churches we organize our discipleship with better tools at the same time uh, I think that part of our churches has, have become consumers and they're 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 in for a show and the smaller churches smaller churches don't give a good show uh, maybe that's good maybe that's good because the church is not a show so we're working very hard to to make sure that what we deliver on Sunday on the web is as close as we can get to what you will you will receive when you come on on uh, in person. We don't want to give a show. Uh, I'll laugh whenever we make mistakes on the web, and I, I'll underline them just to make sure that they understand this is not a church. Where th- that's a crutch we're using, and it's okay for now. But uh, we're looking forward to meet in person. That's good. Uh, just I'm aware of time, so uh, I've got a couple things I want to hit yet, but. Anyone, last comment on that, just observations of, you know, maybe some things we'll keep, some things that, that have been helpful, but then also some stuff we're going to have to press on when this is over, technology-wise, social media-wise. Going once, twice, thrice. All right, let's uh, let's jump into the, the next conversation, which I think is fairly important. Uh, obviously, there's there's been a big controversy in Canada, particularly in the last half of this pandemic around the issue of how the church uh, relates to the state. And uh, as, as Paul mentioned, it's, it's taken on a strange level of, of heat, which is not to say that there's not substance to it. There is, but we've been through substantial discussions before without this heat. I, I was saying to a colleague yesterday, uh, when I entered into ministry, the big controversy, of course, uh, was the charismatic controversy. And uh, that was a a substantial issue. Um, Some guys were saying, if if you don't have this experience, you're not saved. Other guys are saying, if you have this experience, you're filled with a demon. Like those are, those are positions that are pretty far apart. So, so there was plenty of ground for a substantial conversation. And yet, unless I've edited this part out, I don't remember it ever getting nasty or, or heated in the way that this conversation has, despite that we're actually not that far apart. I feel like I have 90 to 95% agreement with some brothers in ministry who want to beat me over the head with a shovel on this issue. And, and meaning I, I, it feels like there's an awful lot of heat being generated over a fairly small amount of disagreement. So help or us. They just want to beat you over the head with a shovel. You know, it's just one of those two, right? And that could be it too, right? It could be you completely know. separate. From I have a lot of people walking around daily in front of me that want to beat me over there with yeah, a shovel. Yeah, I have a, I have a smackable it. face. I'll give you that. But uh, help us figure out where all this heat is coming from. Uh, maybe that would be question one. And then question two would be, you know, what resources are there within the reform community that could actually help us build up understanding and, and maybe even concord on this issue? Uh, I'll, I'll throw that out to the panel generally. I'm, as I said, if you haven't been thinking about this, you've been living under a rock. So I'm sure you're all prepared for that. Paul, let's start with you. Yeah, <laughs> I've been thinking about it. Uh, Paul, you've been I thinking did. about it. Good. <laughs> Yeah, I just, I really want people to think about their whole Bible. And all of this in my mind really comes down to how you're reading your Bible. So uh, when I'm reading my New Testament in particular, I'm seeing their direct commands that are, as I said earlier, I don't get to disobey because of disagreement. So I'm given specific instructions 
about, you know, in the context of my own local church, I don't think this is necessarily say something like mask wearing is not necessarily a weaker, stronger brother issue. I don't think it is, at least not in our context. But I think there's all kinds of things in Romans 14 and 15 that indicate to me how I should uh, converse with and talk with those who I disagree with on that matter. And then in, in, in large measure, I think what I'm most concerned about is my Bible is full of a God of love. And I'm not this God who has given his own son and called me to love similarly uh, to the laying down of my own life for my own brothers and sisters. Uh, I think this God that we serve is appalled by some of the ways certain Christians are speaking about other Christians. I don't think there is any, any excuse for it whatsoever. I'm embarrassed by it. I'm ashamed of it in, in, in others. I think, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm working my way through Carl Truman's book on, um, uh, uh, the, uh, something of the, modern self. of the modern self. Yeah. Rise and triumph of the modern self. And I think it seems to me that there's just a lot of cultural baggage that's crept into the church. And I feel like people are making excuses for behavior that's sin. Yeah. Um, so, uh, where that's affected me, I've tried to address it. Um, I don't think that's gone well, but, uh, I do think what's going to be most important for me is when I stand before the Lord that I have a clear conscience and I would not have a clear conscience if I were to die tomorrow, if I had, you know, reamed Dan McDonald out online and uh, called Clint Humphrey names and, uh, you know, mocked Stephen Bray for his decisions. I don't think any of that is godly. I think it's quite sinful. And, and yeah, I want to stand before the Lord with a pure heart as I can. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else want to jump in on this? Uh, where's the heat coming from and uh, what resources do we have to dig our way out of this? I mean, I think I already said it earlier when I said that we've adopted cultural narratives of polarization that uh, are, are not from the Bible, but from the culture. And so Paul's just said the same thing uh, better. So I'll go with Paul. Okay. I, I think that a lot of churches and pastors in particular are trying to fill in a gap for this loss of confidence and expertise and leadership in society. And so people are putting a lot of pressure on pastors to fulfill all kinds of leadership roles that are outside of their lane. Mm. And so that you have pastors then that are taking on a lot more of a political role and it's filled with ironies. Um, and I think we have to, you know, consider, we think about resources, uh, a book from a number of years ago by Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert called what is the mission of the church? Yeah. And, and that's, those words are very cho chosen very carefully, but as a church, what is our mission in the world over against what can individual Christians do in their various vocations? Yeah. And I think there's been a great confusion about that so that people are wanting the church as an institution to be this lever of power. And, and that's presented a lot of, uh, a lot of trouble for people and their own frustrations as, as Dan and, and Paul both pointed out people's frustrations. They're looking for someone to be their champion. And these pastors, because now in this fragmented society, pastors seem to be one of the few guys who maybe have a bit of a constituency well then they're under pressure then to be the the point the the, the sharp point of the spear 
representing people's frustrations and concerns. And sometimes it's simply the pastor's own frustration. Uh, so, so some of these things then are coming out. And I think as well, as, as Dan said, just following along cultural lines. Um, but it takes great discernment. Can I, can I follow up on that though yeah, go ahead, uh, for a second, Clint? Because I think most of us here, uh, though we don't come out of the African-American experience, I don't think we have a problem with the African-American church in the 50s and 60s taking a fairly decidedly political role for the uh, very legitimate civil rights needs of the black community. And so I don't think, I think we have to be careful when we say those kinds of things. I certainly think that um, there is a role for the church uh, at, at, in, and any institution to speak up for God's ways and God's justice if it's being taken away from the general community. It gets much more complicated when it's specific persecution of Christians, how we, how we advocate politically, but certainly social justice in that situation, I, I, I don't in any way, um, you know, I don't have any problem with the black churches being involved in, in, in that kind of political way. Um, so I don't think you want to make a blanket statement that it's never uh, appropriate for, for the church. It's never the mission of the church to be involved. Um, I don't remember what DeYoung says in his book about that. Maybe you guys can, um, yeah, you can update me. But I do know that in my own tradition, the Presbyterian tradition, Southern Presbyterian theologians for years used the doctrine of the spiritual nature of the church to countenance first slavery and then segregation. And so there are um, limits and abuses even of that uh, otherwise fairly biblical um, doctrine. So maybe you, can, you, think, maybe you can speak up on that. Well, I just wonder if part of the difference is there is such there's such clarity in certain issues. So yeah. uh, Jim Crow laws, legislation that is, uh, you know, a violation of a country's own uh yeah. other uh, federal documents there's there's black and white clarity that this is this is a wrong issue i think part of what at least I, as i'm hearing clint is saying i'm not an epidemiologist i have the advantage of having a fellow elder who's an epidemiologist and he's he's trying to make heads and tails out of all the information and this is this is a more complex and convoluted thing than i than i think um, and, and i think that's a better really, discussion i yeah. think that's a better discussion i mean when there's moral clarity on the issue, and you're clearly standing on the side of the Bible on something, I think it's fine to get politically involved. I myself have been protesting and almost arrested at a pro-life demonstration years ago, and I, I, I don't, uh, yeah, I'm not ashamed of that. Uh, so I do think that, um, I wasn't a pastor either, so what am I talking about? But I think to your point, Paul, I think it's a bit more news here, talking about when there isn't clarity there should be charity in the way that, that we disagree with each other. And that's what I completely agree with. Um, when our principle, a biblical principle uh, in a particular context, the application of that principle is gray. You can choose black or white or darker shades of gray, but that's your choice. And to impose that on everyone else is to bind their conscience. And the whole reformation was fought on the issue is I do not bind my fellow Christian's conscience on something that the Bible doesn't. So whether or not I'm mask or anti-mask or whether or not I'm in favor of civil disobedience or not. And, and I have some real sympathy with general civil disobedience over the general incompetence of my government with respect to uh, the way they've handled COVID. Let me be clear. Uh, that's a different issue. And to your point, there isn't clarity of biblical 
condemnation uh, one way or the other. So we need to have charity towards each other if we, if we differ in our application of scripture. If I can just jump in just for Paul's going to cut us off here. I would just say as well, there's a difference between encouraging our individual members in that vocational engagement, whether on a clear issue like civil rights matters or things that are less clear in terms of political engagement yeah. about advocating with our provincial governments. I think we should, I've been encouraging all of my people, if they have feel strongly about things, get politically involved on an individual level. But it's a little bit different when we're talking about then us institutionally and what we're doing. And so that would be kind of just a, a nuance a really that point. I would highlight. With And sometimes there is going to be, as an institutional church, you will be taking stands. And, and I think our pulpit is a place where we take application of Scripture and can apply it to contemporary issues. Mm. Uh, but, but the difference of church members and trying to encourage them in their various vocations, I think, is a key distinction here. I think one of the, uh, this is exactly the conversation we need to be having. And I, I think we need to be having it in, uh, from our pulpits. I think it, it's, it's something we need to talk more about. I think there is broad confusion in the evangelical world in Canada as to the balance between uh, converting and discipling friends and neighbors and converting and discipling cultures and nations. Like it's a very, that's, those are very different things. And, you know, as you said, Dan, there there may, there may be cases in which it is appropriate for us to lay hands on the culture uh, and to say, hey, this, this, this issue in the, in the culture is wrong and needs to be confronted. And I think we all celebrate those moments when we've done that well. But when we do it poorly, um, it starts to look uh, triumphalistic. It, it starts to look like a distraction. It starts to look like the, like the church is off mission. So I, I think that's a conversation that we, we need to have more, more of and more broadly. Um, so let's move but to the second. Can I push back on you for a second, Paul? Because yeah. even, even the language you're talking about, let's, let's not look triumphalistic or let's not look uh, unreasonable to the culture. That to me is uh, an argument that we also have to, to think about because I, I think we all here foresee a day when just preaching the gospel, we're going to listen. We're going to like we're uh, having hate speech. So those kinds of reasons to, to, to hesitate to do something don't sustain themselves too much farther down the, the cultural trajectory we're, we're presently going. So while I agree that our witness needs to be, we need to think about our witness. I, I totally agree with you on that one. Yeah. Um, the effect we have on an increasingly skeptical and hostile culture isn't how the barometer upon which I think we should make these, these decisions. I want to go back to what you're saying. Let's look at the Bible and what does the Bible talk about? And, and how does the Bible bind us? What does the Bible call black, white, or gray rather than what's the effect on an increasingly volatile and skeptical culture? Because, man, I have no faith that they're going to they're gonna interpret anything very well. Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, one of my concerns is that maybe we've we've fired on the culture too early and in the wrong situation, and we may have yeah. we may have spent some some energy, some some permission that we're going to need very soon uh, for other more significant issues. But uh, Paul, do you think because this is one thing I've been asking myself? Do you think that there's a general frustration amongst a lot of us with the way the government has handled a lot of things? The lockdown is a particular one, and it's been turned into a conversation about church's freedom of religion but it's really much more of a general 
political frustration with the way they've handled the lockdown. In other words, you're arguing in Christian terms about the lockdown as if it's a persecution, but what you're really frustrated with is the way the hair salons and the shoe stores have been closed down too. You just think generally this has been poorly handled, but you've turned it into uh, a particular church state conversation. That's one thing I'm wondering about if we're, we're getting mixed up our political opposition to the way the government's handling it and our political desire maybe for a little civil disobedience, and we're turning into a particularly Christian church version of civil disobedience. And I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just kind of wondering because it Dan, feels a little bit like that. I got to tell you, that's exactly where I think this is at, is we have been so wrapped up in our little bubble that when we defend our little thing, and again, this you, we have started this out with the idea of resourcing, right? There's very little out there to talk about how I exercise myself in a democratic society as a Christian. So I have these feelings and, and opinions about how my government that is supposed to represent me is dealing with my life and the culture that I live in. Um, but I also live very much of a lot of my life wrapped up in a church world. So I use a lot of church language and I, I see a lot of these things and I don't think Christians are doing a good job of expressing their democratic uh, understanding of being citizens in a country about how our government is handling all of us. And we have instead ran the flag up about whether we could gather as a church. And that looks appearance wise, so self-serving and short-sighted. And then what's worse is in the Christian world, when we don't all agree, we've turned on each other over it, which just, just exasperates the whole issue to the eyes of a watching world. So, I, I mean, back this for me, what I've tried to teach my people, it's what we do, why we do it, and how we do it, in my Bible, are all mutually important. And you can't just pick one and ride that horse. Um, and then back to the other thing about, you know, what you guys were talking about, which I think is so incredible, I also think when the when the church civilly disobeys, rises up um, about you know whether it's issues of race, abortion, things like that. The 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 good thing about the church is that it's been doing it because it affects the entire culture. It wasn't just self serving to the church. Yeah. Yeah, well Whereas this looks and reeks like it's just purely self serving for us. Exactly. And that's where I think you know again going on a mission trip. I've had the joy of going to Russia twice. And how my brothers and sisters have all the joy in the Lord and they practice and worship and love. And they've got a government that is, you know, tacitly against them. And they just love their government. They love people. They love and serve God. And it has taught me an awful lot about what I'm saying. So I do think I wonder what all the way back to Paul's thing about five years from now, 10 years from now. I don't know that there's a lot of books in the reform movement that have truly talked to us about how we function as Christians in a democratic society while still understanding our Christianity. Because at the end of the day, my allegiance, my ambassadorship, my witness is to Christ. And Christ's example is he gave up his rights, right, for the, for the greater, greater good. But I think we're trying to confuse that. And so I think the church comes across right now is we've been very self-serving in this one area where we want to bang a pot. Uh, which I don't think is to our credit at all. Yeah, I feel like Paul in the book of Acts does a reasonable job of, he's willing to be imprisoned at times, but then he appeals to Caesar because his rights as a Roman citizen. So then when he does that, 
He's not saying I'm being persecuted for the sake of Christ. And this is a, a, a particular Christian thing. This is I'm a citizen. Here are the rights of a citizen. And I'm going to exercise those rights. And I feel like there's, there's some nuance there. There's some distinctions there that I think we have to hold. I am, you know, if, if we marched, if there was a march on Queen's Park in favor of opening up uh, small businesses, et cetera, I would be very tempted to maybe go to that because I think perhaps the lockdown has been too generalized. Um, but but, but that, a same march to the same place that's strictly about how the government is um, honing in on Christians, until I have more evidence that they're really persecuting Christians particularly, I'm, I'm not as uh, compelled to go yeah. to that one because yeah. I, they're different things. The government's doing something that I may disagree with, but I'm disagreeing with it as a Canadian citizen with a certain liberal democratic heritage and view of government and view of my rights, not it, not they're those aren't particularly Christian to Stephen's point. Yeah, yeah. Well said. That's that's a good place to leave that conversation. And I, I just want to land. We're pretty much out of time, but I want to land with maybe once around the table. Now we've lost Yannick. He he told me he'd have to step out. Mm. But once around the table, give us thirty seconds of advice to the brother pastor. Uh, you know, out in the middle of somewhere, trying to figure this out on his own, maybe without a lot of denominational support, and. Uh, Direct that that advice at him as a man, at as as him as a follower of Jesus Christ, at, at him as a husband, and at him as a as a pastor of a flock. Uh, give us thirty seconds of how he can survive and thrive. Your your best, you know, senior pastor, uh, veteran, bit of a bit of counsel. Uh, so, Paul, not that not that you're the oldest among us, because I don't I don't know if you are or not. But uh, why don't we start with you, brother? You're the tallest among us. Let's start. That's there. true. Being tall should qualify me for something. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I also have to get off this call quickly. So I apologize. I'm going to bail as soon as I'm done. My 30 seconds are uh, read your Bible more than you ever had. The answers that you are looking for are there and pray more than you ever have. And if that feels trite, then you should probably get out of the ministry. I don't really mean that. But uh, yes, you rather do. read your Bible, read your Bible and pray <laughs> the things you need to know to function in this time are there and you've just got to live them out. Yeah. Well said. Love you guys. Hey. You too, brother. I won't go tell us the shortest cause I'm not sure where it goes after, after this, but I'll guess Clint, you're, you're, you're a big guy. All right. Okay. Yeah. My, my advice would be, I think John Piper said, find a pace to finish the race. Uh, guys, pastors need to plug in some rest. The decision velocity is tiring them out. They need to have more scheduled rest. And then the other thing I would just encourage them to do is uh, what I and my church, we call grace spotting. Prioritize looking for evidences of grace in your church, in your life. And, and that way, then it, it helps to stoke your joy, even in the midst of trial and sorrow. So those would be uh, two, two practical things I think pastors can do. Yeah, really good. Really good. Stephen? You know, I, I just think uh, the Corinthian church, my, my favorite verse, that I, my go-to verse when I'm going through the waves of this is, you know, when a Corinthian church asks Paul, did Jesus really raise from the, rise from the dead as, as their kind of culminating question? And he comes to the end, he says, be steadfast, unmovable, yeah. always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then he gives them the reason, because what you do for Christ lasts and matters. Mm. So no matter how tired you are, how confused, I mean, with all the other advice that the guys are giving, which is good advice, read your Bible, pray every day, and you will grow, grow, grow. That's the reason it's a Sunday school song. Um, the idea of, you know, pacing yourself, but 
I think in the waves of this for my brothers, I would tell them when you are wondering if you're faceless and nameless and does it matter and does it count? And I got to stand in front of a camera again. I got to send another email. I got to send a link for another Zoom call. Everything you do for Christ lasts. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Uh, yes, and I meant to all of that. Um, trying to think of something to add that would help because I think those are great. I would say one thing, discern the time that you're in. If you're in a time of great revival, it would change the way you register your day and do your work. If you're in a time of Jeremiah and great exile, you it, it's different. Um, we're in a day of small things, and I think in many ways, and hidden things. Yeah. You can't tell how your ministry is really doing because COVID has done that. It has shrunk your parameters of ministry and hidden the results. And so uh, know that and know that that means that your faithfulness is what you can bring to the table more than anything. Your fruitfulness is really hard to measure. You don't know how to measure it. It's your faithfulness. So guard your heart. Yeah. Yeah, also. yeah I agree with all that. The one thing I would add maybe that, that uh, hasn't been said yet is uh, invest in your marriage too. Um, your wife is, is probably struggling. She's probably hurting. She's got different challenges. And I think if you can, um, invest there and, and go deep there, it'll make, uh, all the stresses you deal with in, in your, your congregation seem a little more manageable. So, um, marriage is a, is, is a gift and, um, celibacy is a gift too, as Paul would remind us, but I'm thankful for the gift that, that he gave me over the course of this pandemic. Cause I've, I've leaned into that and, uh, I recommend to, to guys that they do the same. All right. Well, uh, that's it. We've covered a lot, a lot of ground and I hope that's been helpful. If, if this pandemic keeps going, uh, you know, I don't know how long the reopening phases were. We're moving into the reopening phase. We're moving into the vaccination phase, but as has been said, it's been uh, painfully slow. So uh, if there's need for it, if there's appetite for it, we'll maybe do a, a fourth episode of this. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll put that in the God willing category. And uh, Clint, maybe you could close our time in prayer. Yeah, I'd love to. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this time of discussion, even as we have uh, been reminded of your sovereignty, even in these what appear to us strange times. But you know all things and all things are in your hands. Give us uh, humility, uh, humble our pride so that we would fear you and honor you. We do pray that you would uh, minister comfort to those who are hurting, uh, those who are suffering, those who are alone, those who are stressed and depressed, those who are ill, and those who are wore out from trying to serve those who are ill. Lord, we do pray for our governments, and I just pray that you would grant them wisdom in these days. And for these government leaders, we pray that you would grant them repentance and faith, that they would believe that they would be brought to the end of themselves and that they would turn in repentance to you. And we pray for pastors and ask, Lord, that you would help them to persevere in the faith, that they would forsake sin, and that they would truly shepherd the sheep, even as Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd, guides them. Lord, we do pray that you would bring a great awakening, a reformation, and a revival in this land. And Lord, if you would use uh, Christians in Canada for that purpose, Lord, we pray that you would make us a people of prayer and a people who are hanging on your every word. Oh, Lord, come and give us your the filling of your spirit that we would honor and please you in these days, these difficult days, and we will glorify you on the other side. 
for we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you, panel. Uh, appreciate you and, and giving your time. And thank you, listeners. Appreciate you. As I said, if, if there's need, if there's appetite, we'll do this again. Uh, but that's it for us for now. And uh, until we see you again, we wish you all the best. We're praying for you. We're cheering for you. And uh, we'll see you on the other side. God bless. Mm-hmm.